3: I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a market market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. I'll do to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. COVID relief, COVID cases, COVID deaths, COVID vaccine. When you hear the litany, you think this market only cares about COVID-19. Yet the action today, Dow falling 124 points, S&P sinking 0.35%, NASDAQ declining 7 basis points, had nothing to do with COVID. And everything to do with Tesla's admission to the S&P 500 at the close of trading. That means the whole index needs to be rebalanced to make room for a stock that just won't quit. Including today, where Tesla closed up $39. For a while now, Wall Street's been fixated on the gyrations of high-flying super stocks, and it doesn't get more high-flying than Tesla. Darn things, already up 70% since we learned it was going to join the S&P. But to make room for Tesla in the S&P index funds, well, the other components had to be sold today. Usually new interest to the S&P are so small, but Tesla's one of the 10 largest companies in America by market cap, so the impact reverberated throughout the whole market. We keep coming back to Tesla because it's captivated a whole generation of investors who don't mind paying up for a $650 billion technology company that happens to make cars. I think the evolution of Tesla, the stock, not the company, has changed the character of the entire stock market. I think it's the most important story in years. Sure, we've seen this trajectory before. Under the leadership of Jeff Bezos, uh, Amazon's taken over the world. Netflix became a national pastime, right? And we celebrate what CEO Roy Reed Hastings has done. We believe him all the way. But Tesla takes that same story and cracks it up to an 11. It's become the ultimate love the product, buy the stock, stock, with a legion of adoring fans. Again, Amazon and Netflix have the same dynamic, but you don't see people worshiping Bezos or, you don't see them worshiping Hastings from Netflix, even though I think they should. No, they worship Elon Musk. In a way, Tesla's a bit of a lottery ticket that paid out for a huge number of people. You just had to believe... The rally's been so visible that it's spawned a new generation of investors who want individual stocks, not index funds, because index funds can't give you such returns. Personally, I'm a big believer in the car, the stock, and the man behind it. You don't have to like Elon Musk. I mean, the guy called me a simulation, but you should respect his ability to make money for you. I bet Tesla has more upside as Musk keeps meeting and beating his targets. I'm thrilled the stock has made so many people so much money. And I'm ecstatic that it's helped a generation, a new, whole new generation, fall in love with stock picking like I did in 1979. Now, once the index funds finish selling everything else to make room for the $650 billion behemoth, I'm betting the Santa Claus rally resumes. So with that in mind, let's go to our game plan. All right, first of all, uh, this weekend's just a, my God, I have to... I have to work this weekend when I look at it like this. I got Saturday football. Where's Saturday football? It's like right here. Anyway, this weekend, we'll find out the fate of Moderna's vaccine. Seems like a slam dunk approval, right, from the FDA. The meetings on Saturday and Sunday are pretty much a formality at this point. Assuming everything goes as planned, we'll come in on Monday knowing that we have a second COVID vaccine. At the same time, Congress will continue its endless wrangling over the stimulus package that we desperately need to save the economy now it's a pandemic hitting us harder than ever. If they can't make a deal in the next couple of days, well, that is a negative. If they give, us, give up on the talks entirely, it's a huge negative. Of course, if they do make a deal and the Moderna vaccine gets approved, money should be terrific. Uh, that, that could bring in more new money to the stock market, which is what you need right now. You can't just shuffle from out of, uh, let's say, out of Apple into Tesla all day. Uh, we want this rally to continue. We need new money. What else? It turns out that the government's found a way to screw up vaccine distribution, which is what I predicted endlessly. The scientists delivered, but there seems to be millions of vaccines lost in transition from the Pfizer factory to healthcare workers' arms. Pfizer's out there saying they got millions of doses sitting in a warehouse somewhere, but the federal government just hasn't asked for them. Like, who knows? Meanwhile, the states are complaining that their shipments haven't been cut. I mean, hopefully things get sorted out over the weekend, too, but I wouldn't count on it. Still, it, it sure, it, it, it's early, but the situation's already a mess. That said, the moment enough people get the vaccine that the caseload peaks, something that could take a while, uh, but unless we have that, a solution that my doctor I have on later in the show adopts, if we do that, we can get out of this. Well, we should get uh, still one more rally in the travel and leisure stocks. They're already moving up in in anticipation I wouldn't sell those at all. Hey, but the thing I find most reassuring about this market has nothing to do with the virus at all. I'm talking about all the money on the sidelines, $5 trillion. There are so many investors waiting for the sell-off so they can buy stocks at a lower level. That's one reason stocks rebounded hard in the close. today. it was like, finally, the Dow was down 200. It gave people a chance. So the stimulus talks fell apart. Uh, and we might have a couple of down days, but then I expect the market to just bounce right back. If we do get a stimulus package, though, I expect the big box retailers to do very well. Now, we got some incredible news just tonight after the close that will definitely reverberate into Monday's session. First, Nike, okay, just crushed the numbers. I mean, a bona fide blowout. It's very even. It was astonishing. And I see a parade of price target boosts by analysts. There was guys shorting Nike right into the close. They were wrong. Second, the Fed announced that banks could resume buybacks, and immediately, J.P. Morgan, okay, which, uh, like Nike, is owned by my charitable trust, you can follow along by joining the ActionAlertsPlus.com club, announced a $30 billion buyback. $30 billion. You know, these... Nobody owns the banks. This could be huge. Bank group's going to be up big on Monday. That's an important group. We don't have any major earnings next week, but on Tuesday, we could have uh, a couple that'd be pretty informative. First, we hear from CarMax, used car retailer that can give us a terrific read on the red hot auto market. At a time when people are abandoning mass transit too dangerous with COVID around, the only alternative is a car. Of course, CarMax's stock has been range-bound ever since we started getting all the positive vaccine data. Maybe it breaks out once we see the results and people realize the demand is off the charts. The home builders have been roaring, and that's essentially the same story. People moving from cities to suburbs in the country where they need houses and cars. I bet CarMax follows in their footsteps. Second, we get results from Cintas. Man, I know this one's the biggest maker of uniforms in the country. Uh, if Cintas is doing well... That means small and medium-sized businesses are holding up better than we think. If they're doing poorly, well, that's a different story. Finally, Paychex, we know those guys, right? They're important. This one's another fabulous gauge of small business. Paychex has an enormous flock of small medium-sized customers that use them for payroll automation. Long term, this stock's been a great performer. But short term, it tends to act as a proxy for its customers. Listen, I know this market can be incredibly confusing. Like the manna from Fed heaven to the banks this very evening, the whole thing... It doesn't feel just too good to be true. Tesla, in particular, seems like a a fairy tale. Not the kind of story that comes true in reality. But the bottom line, Tesla is real. Think of its admission to the S&P 500 as a fairy tale come true. And the broader rally is real, too. Even if this market gives you vertigo, you have to accept that the believers have been running circles around the skeptics for months and months and months. And I don't see that changing, at least not anytime soon. Let's go to Ezra in South
4: Carolina. Ezra. Hey, Jim, I'm looking to establish a long position on Etsy. Uh, they're up over 300 percent this year, and I still see some room to grow. Should I wait for Monday on Monday or should I wait for a better entry point on Etsy? Um Probably I would now have to wait to when they report, where
3: when they report, they're always very conservative. I mean, this stock, look, Etsy, Square and PayPal, uh, Etsy, Square, PayPal. And let's let's do um also uh, Shopify. All right. These have run so much, but anybody who tells you not to own them is making a mistake. So maybe do this. Buy some and then wait for down. down. I'd say that for all four of those stocks. Those are the, the charmers. I want to go to Lenny in Florida, please. Lenny.
4: Evening, Jim. Lenny, Evening, Lenny. In here. Uh, you know, I've been thinking with the whole coronavirus thing going on, some people might be walking more. They're going to need the best shoes to get their groceries and stuff. What better walking shoes to get but Skechers? Do you think Skechers is going to skyrocket? No, Thanks, Jim. I no. Love you. I
3: think the company's inconsistent. I would wa- well, don't not think these things, sir. What you want to do is you want to find the best, and you own the best of breed. I've been like that for year, generations now, and that best is Nike. And what a quarter just this very evening, so we've got good data points. James of Virginia,
4: James. Booyah, Professor Kramer! Thank you for I giving me on tenure. On. Let's go to work. Uh-huh. Always, man. Hey. I've been riding out with you, man, for a long time, man. I became a young man years ago, and I just happened to turn on CNBC and discovered Mad Money. And I've been riding out with you ever since. Uh, Thank you. All throughout our journey together, you know, I uh, might have a question about something, and I'll turn on on the show, and you'll speak about it. I wanted to learn about chart patterns one time, and that evening you spoke about chart patterns. I wanted to learn about a stock of this. It's always happened, and you speak about that stock or a or someone right. talks about that stock. And then in February of this year, the one that's mind-boggling, someone I was okay. doing my homework late night, early morning, doing my homework. What's Jimmy what, what you talking about, about here? I got you Let me turn on the show. And this lady asked. My my question was. Does Jimmy Chill ever sleep? And this lady asked you that same question. Totally right, mind bossing. So with get all that, start. with all that I got you. with all that, you are a cosmic force in the universe. All right. Or this one heck of a simulation. Now the stock I'm calling about within the past uh two years, it had the high of eighty seven, the low of forty, okay. and it's back up and it just extended by it, it has a sixty three billion dollar market cap, the biggest of all, all right. the gaming industries. We have the holiday season coming up, so I'm calling about Activision Blizzard. I like them very much. I actually like the whole group. I like EA.
3: We trimmed a little take two for club. but I think you're really fine, activists. But this is going to be a video game a holiday, sir. And thank you for those kind comments. That makes me, that got me all fired up for the rest of the show. All right, Tesla is real, people, and so is the broader rally. And I don't see it anytime soon. Oh, man, buddy, tonight, could at-home testing be overlooked key? keeping COVID at bay while we wait for the vaccine to be widely distributed. I'm talking to one guy who really knows more than anybody. And the spectacular continues. I'm doing a deep dive into the upcoming merger of Pivotal Investment Corp 2 and Excel Fleet to tell you how to play it. And as fall continues following the SolarWinds hack attack, well, you know what? I got the exclusive of the CEO of cybersecurity and cloud network play, Cloudflare. Hey, maybe this thing isn't about how smart the Russians are. Maybe it's about how dumb we are. Maybe money's back in
0: Visibility at indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed.
3: What if we've been taking the wrong approach to testing throughout this entire pandemic? When you look at the skyrocketing death toll, it's clear we've been doing something wrong. Probably a lot of things, except for vaccine development. But testing in particular has been a debacle. And according to Dr. Michael Minna, professor of epidemiology at Harvard, it's because we've let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Too many experts were maniacally focused on getting people the most accurate tests. They should have been trying to churn out lots of ever so slightly lower quality tests with much shorter turnarounds. Dr. Minna's approach, well, it's... Pretty radical. It shouldn't be. But he says that widespread use of cheap at-home antigen tests could radically alter the trajectory of the pandemic while we wait to get vaccinated. Last week, he published an article in the Wall Street Journal arguing that if we could only take $1 billion to scale up production so that every household in America can get a 20-pack of these rapid tests within weeks, well, maybe this thing could be put to bed. Don't take it from me. Let's go straight to the source with Dr. Michael Minna, assistant professor of epidemiology at the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health, to learn more about his game-changing idea. Dr. Minna, welcome to Mad Money.
5: Thanks a lot.
3: Happy to be here. All right. So, doctor, I've got to tell you, uh, before we get to the question, I think people should know that one of the reasons why I was early on the pandemic, because I've been following your work for a long time. And you have been saying over and over again that we did not have the right amount of tests, that we didn't know what we were doing and the way to stop the spread. And this was literally in February was uh, it was almost too late. But at least if we did some sort of kit that worked and was cheap, we might not let this happen. You saw it coming.
5: Yeah, uh, the testing has been front and center as one of the major problems throughout this entire pandemic so far, especially in the United States. And at the same time, we know that testing is the only way for people with this virus uh, to know that they have it before they go on and infect other people. So it's really, uh, you know, the, the need for rapid, accessible, frequent testing is huge. Yet we have failed at every step to make it a priority and to make it at all accessible to uh,
3: Americans. We could uh, very inexpensively have strips that we could do at home that would tell us whether we're infectious.
5: That's right. I, I have them here. These are these are essentially the, the paper strips. Uh, a, it works just like a pregnancy test. Uh, it's a it's a paper strip. You swab the front of your nose. You drop the swab into a small tube. You put the, the paper strip into that tube. One line forms means you're negative. Two lines mean you're positive. You have a result in five minutes, maybe
3: 10. Okay, so I listened to this when I first, your work, and I said, there's got to be some catch. It must not work somehow. I talked to people and they said, well, you know what? You need a doctor's care. I have heard this month, people said, well, you should really have a teledoctor. And then I've heard other people say, you know, it's not 100% accurate. None of those things hold water, just like they didn't hold water when we had pregnancy tests, which I remember was a, a battleground for years. That's,
5: that's exactly right. It's, uh, you know, we have been so focused on the PCR test, which detects RNA. It doesn't detect live virus. It can detect live virus, but it can also detect people long after they've been infectious, just like a detective going to a crime scene, finding DNA at the crime scene that the people aren't there anymore, but the DNA still is same thing here. These antigen tests, these can pick up uh, positive cases when they are infectious. And they do it in a time frame that is relevant. So we continue, though, to compare them to PCR-based testing, which the majority of time that somebody is PCR positive, they no longer have live infectious virus. So these tests would be negative. So it makes it look bad, but it's actually a very, very accurate test, 99% sensitivity to
3: detect people when
5: they're infectious.
3: And are countries using it that are, and having good luck with it?
5: Yeah, we've seen, we're starting to see more and more countries roll them out. Uh, we saw a massive effort in Slovakia. Slovakia tried to test half of their entire population uh, over just two weekends of doing it. They saw a 60 to 80 percent drop in incidence just after two weeks of doing it, which makes sense. If you go out into the community, you test half of your community, and you're able to capture all of those cases and stop them from transmitting. in the next cycle, you're very quickly going to drop incidents across the whole
3: of the population. All right, so uh, this could seem pretty silly, but um, you can't get infected by someone if that person isn't there to give you an infection. If that person stays home after checking on the strip, maybe you do a strip every day, that person can't infect you, so infections have to plummet.
5: That's, that's exactly right. The whole idea that I would like to see is we scale these tests up. You know, Sometimes they look like this. Sometimes they look like this, which this just has the piece of paper inside of it. If we can scale them up and we have a government program that actually puts them into people's homes, we could do this. It would be cheap, relatively speaking. $1 billion to scale these up and another 5 to $10 billion over the whole year to get all Americans to be able to test. You know, Just to put it in perspective, That's like one one one-thousandth of what we have spent so far on this virus. So it's very cheap. We would get them into homes. People brush their teeth. They use a coronavirus test twice a week. That's a minute out of people's week. Uh, One minute. You know, it takes about 30 seconds each time you do the test. That would be enough to give enough people an understanding that they are infectious early in the course of their infection that they're able to then stay home. And even if we could just get people to stay home just for three or four days with a virus like this, that spreads so quickly, uh, that would be a massive gain to help slow the spread of transmission.
3: Well, I'm going on this campaign with with you. I've been thinking about this for a while. i worked on the mass campaign, did did my best. Your campaign's better than anything. And you know what? We're going to I'm pushing with you because and also, by the way, no one makes any money off it. Maybe that's why it's not. Yeah. Well, you and I are maybe we're too cynical. But uh, Dr. Minna, thank you so much for coming. When I follow your stuff. You've been spot on the whole darn year. That is Dr. Michael Minna, assistant professor of epidemiology at the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health, making common sense. They have Money's back after the break.
5: See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries.
0: See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Methane management is a critical part of achieving a lower carbon future. Chevron is taking action to keep methane in the pipe. Their 2028 upstream methane intensity target is set to be 53% below the 2016 baseline. They're committed to evolving facility designs and operating practices. And they've trialed over 13 advanced detection technologies, including drones and satellites. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com methane.
3: In the last month, we've tried to catch up with all the electric vehicle companies that are effectively coming public through reverse mergers with special purpose acquisition companies, big publicly traded piles of cash that exist solely to buy other businesses. But these SPAC deals just won't stop. Late last week, we learned of four more in a 48-hour period. They just keep coming and coming, because this remains one of the hottest areas of the market. You want them, and they can just pop out as instant stocks without tiresome regulation. Because they're basically merged entities that have already been legitimized by virtue of the takeover process. Last week, the electric vehicle SPACs got hit with a devastating sell-off, and many of them had already bounced back. I know people love these things. I know you love these things. I I know you want to hear about them. I know there's scant research. So we're going to do it. We're going to do the research for you on mad money. It's my mission to shine a light on the electric vehicle plays that have embraced this one weird trick to get their stocks listed without an IPO because I care about ESG, and I care about the environment, and I care about slowing down or stopping fossil fuels sometime in my life. For the most part, I think that many of these are too risky, although I'd recommend a handful of them because at much lower levels, they were terrific. Tonight, we've got another one for you that might be good. It's a special purpose acquisition company. It's called Pivotal Investment Corp. 2. It's merging with XL Fleet sometime next week. Now, this is one of the quietest SPAC deals in several now we're talking about it that you've seen so far, although uh, that's not necessarily a bad thing in a group that's plagued by excess hype. In fact, I think this is a downright intriguing story. So here's the deal. XL Fleet's developed an electrified powertrain that transforms fossil fuel power trucks into hybrids as they're manufactured. You can already find their technology in light medium-duty trucks made by 4 GM, Isuzu. They've also got a real-time monitor, a data monitoring and analytics platform that they sell as part of electrification as a service bundle. On top of that, XL fleets working on a fully electric powertrain. But for the moment, they're already doing business with some of the largest commercial municipal truck fleets in America. Get this list. FedEx, Coca-Cola, PepsiCo, Verizon, City of Boston, Seattle Fire Department. Oh, and both Harvard and Yale for good measure. So how exactly does this business work? Okay, commercial trucks are generally built in two stages. First, the original manufacturer puts together an incomplete vehicle. Then they send it to an upfitter that that completes the assembly by adding specialized equipment. Fleet's powertrains get added to trucks during that second stage. As the company sees sees it, electric vehicles are the future of trucking. But it might take a long time to get there if we wait on the automakers. And that's why XL fleets come up with their customer-tailored approach. They're trying to accelerate the process. Every year we spend over a trillion dollars in commercial vehicle fleets. Now there's a total adjustable market. The number includes new vehicle procurement and all sorts of other expenses, especially fuel. Fleet believes they can capture a piece of that with their hybrid and plug-in hybrid powertrains. Sort of a gradual electrification, if you want to call it. The company also plans to have a fully electric system in 2022. And they're working on all of this stuff for heavy-duty trucks, too. While Class A trucks, the biggest ones, only represent 2% of the vehicle market in the U.S., they account for 20% of all transportation fuel consumption. Yeah, they're just guzzlers. Even hybrid Class A trucks would be fabulous for this environment and would also save the owners a fortune on fuel costs. What really sets Tesla apart, though, is that unlike most of the electric SPAC plays, its products are already on the road. It's real. They've got 3,200 of these systems installed. They're shipping hundreds of new ones every month. And by the end of next year, they'll have deployed nearly 10,000 of them. Plus, they currently have powertrains for nine different models of truck, giving them more than double the breadth of their next closest competitor. Now, the biggest barrier to electrifying the commercial vehicle market is that fleet operators need to make sure the technology is reliable. I'm talking about nine, 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 nine. They need their trucks, vans, buses to work. Every minute they're not running because they need maintenance is a minute when they're burning money. Plus, in this age of just-in-time supply chains, a few delays can throw your whole logistics network off, right into chaos. So the industry tends to be pretty conservative about new technology, to say the least. The combustion engine may poison the environment. No, it does poison the environment. Why not? Let's call it as we see it. And cost you a fortune on fuel. But you know, it works. And hey, if it breaks down, every auto mechanic out there knows how to fix it. But XL Fleet's building up a good track record on reliability, too. Their hybrid our hybrid trains don't just save customers money on fuel while reducing emissions. They also perform... There's a reason the Seattle Fire Department uses XL Fleet's technology in 27 of their ambulances. It's because a powerful endorsement right? an ambulance can't. It's not a good thing to have one of those break down. How about the financials? Okay, all these electric SPACs like to make detailed projections about the future, something they couldn't do if they listed their stocks in a traditional way via IPOs. SEC doesn't like it. However, XL Fleet's a little different in that their near-term forecasts are much more substantial than what you see from most of these SPAC names company already has a 12-month rolling sales pipeline more than $220 million in potential new business opportunities. Average order sizes have skyrocketed. XL Fleet's largest order this year was three times the size of the largest order in 2019. It's pretty good. Magic believes their customers are going from a trial phase to a full adoption phase. XL Fleet's on track to make $21 million in revenue this year. Imagine please they can grow to 75 million next year, 281 million in 2022, then 647 million in 2023 as heavy-duty models and the fully electric drivetrain scale up. Pretty aggressive, but get this: in 2024, they're talking about nearly 1.4 billion in sales. Even better, the company thinks it can deliver positive earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization by 2022. Guys, that's right around the corner. As usual, you got to take these projections with a bit of grain of salt. But it's encouraging to see one of these electric SPACs forecast huge numbers in three or four years instead of seven, eight, nine, ten. I do have two concerns. First, ExoFleet seems like they've got a great bridge solution, but I don't know what happens to them. Once the actual truck makers start producing their own fully electric vehicles, there are a bunch of startups working on this. And Ford's coming out with electric uh, model of F-150 they're building from scratch. Transit van 2022. These are two of the model XL fleet converts. Maybe the market's big enough for all of them. Maybe start, they start selling their powertrains directly to the manufacturers. But either way, this is something you got to keep an eye on. Second worry, XL Fleet does a lot of business with state and local governments, which are totally broke right now because of the pandemic. It doesn't look like they'll be getting bailed out anytime soon. Of course, that problem should solve itself once enough people are vaccinated and the world goes back to normal. But it might make next year a lot tougher. Now, Pivotal Investment Corp. 2 closes on its merger with XL Fleet early next week. And it sure doesn't hurt that Pivotal is run by John Ledecki. He's a brilliant businessman with an incredible track record. You might know him as the guy who owns the Islanders. I know him as a friend from college he was in the Harvard Crimson with me. I always thought he was a pretty good moneymaker. Based on what we know about the deal, Pivotal's $15 stock values the combined business at $2.1 billion. I got to tell you, if Excel Fleet can get even close to hitting its forecast for 2022 or 2023, and we get some clarity on that relationship with Ford and the F-150, this stock is, is cheap. Darn cheap. Something like QuantumScape trades at 10 times its 2027 sales forecast. Fleet would be trading at 3.3 times its 2023 forecast. Bottom line, with Pivotal Investment trading at $15 going to the Fleet merger, I think this stock could be a steal. Compelling story, surprisingly undervalued stock, good management. But if it starts flying next week, I'm betting it. Maybe you don't chase it too much past 20.
4: But I like this one. Alex in Texas, Alex. Jim, a big booyah to you from Houston, Texas. All I'd right. Like to thank you for all the wisdom you share and the energy you bring every day.
3: <laughs> You're very good. Thank you, man. Try, I try to bring it. What's up?
4: I started listening to you back in 2015, and then since then my portfolio is up 40% year over year. So thank you very much. I appreciate um, it. Back uh, back on December 3rd, uh, Mark from Wisconsin asked you about blink charging in a lightning round. Since then, I've done a little more research. They have a $1.2 billion market cap. They have $4.5 million in annual sales, which gives them a price-to-sales ratio of over 260. The stock is up 1,600% for the year. However, Citron released a short report on them in November. Right. And they are competing against ChargePoint, who has seven times their market share you think Blink is a good investment at these levels? But we just did a piece about... We, I'll
3: tell you, first of all, thank you for the kind of conversation. We just did a, a piece on ChargePoint, and I, I like that uh, just a ton. I mean, so I'm going to stick with that one. I don't need Blink charging when I've got the best, I think, in the field. Uh, let's go to uh, Luis in California. Luis. No? You know what? I think we should just wrap it up. See, that's what happens when you make a big mistake. You act as if... Very casually. I think you just wrap it up. When obviously I'm looking very foolish and red-faced. But that's okay. It's because you can't see all my makeup. It's so fle- <laughs>
4: It's
3: Friday. Give me a break. I've been doing this show for 15 years. All right, anyway. Chillman says, Excel Fleet is a compelling story. It could be a real steal. But please don't chase it too much past 20. On May Money Tonight, I've got an exclusive with a security tech play that's up more than 120% over the past three months. Don't miss my one-on-one with one of my absolute favorites, Cloudflare. And my young staff told me this is supposed to be funny. And IPO, no you didn't. IPO, no you didn't. They said it's funny. Is it funny? Don't make a move on the recent red-hot IPOs until you hear my, oh, I know you didn't. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So, how red-faced am I? Stick with Kramer. As we close the book on 2020, what do we do with the winners, let's say the biggest winners of the year? Take Cloudflare, the content delivery network with a cybersecurity kicker, meaning they make sure business-critical applications can operate reliably and securely over the web. Well, this stock has been a dream for shareholders. It's up 391% year-to-date, and it deserves every penny of that move. When Cloudflare reported six weeks ago, they delivered yet another pristine beat-and-raise quarter, which is what fueled the most recent leg of a breathtaking rally. Now, I have been recommending this stock repeatedly. But at this level, uh, some people would say it's getting expensive. We've got to wonder what happens to the booming content delivery network business once people can go back to the office. So let's take a closer look with Matthew Prince, the co-founder, chair, and CEO of Cloudflare, to get a better sense of where his company's headed. Mr. Prince, welcome back to Mad Money. Thanks for having me, Jim. All right. So, how does J.P. Morgan call your quarter the most impressive quarter this earnings season? And I see an acceleration of revenue growth and margins that is breathtaking. What are you
1: doing? You know, I think at the core of Cloudflare uh, is is really innovation, and our team has been delivering incredible products uh, that delight our customers, make sure that they have a fast, secure, reliable internet experience. And during the last nine months where we've all had to lean on the Internet more than ever before, uh, it's shown the world just how important what Cloudflare delivers to our customers and how we're living up to our mission of helping build a better Internet. Well, I mean, when I look at what you guys are doing, it seems to me that you went from
3: being uh, kind of uh, afterthought to being maybe the most indispensable company when it comes to working at home and having secure uh, I would say, the best cybersecurity of any one of the companies that I talked to. And all at once, you became the gold standard. Where did you come from?
1: Well, you know, we've been we've been working on Cloudflare for, for over the last 10 years. And so it, it may, maybe, it, maybe it was an afterthought to, to some people in the markets, but, you know, it's been something that our entire team has been incredibly passionate about. And I think about how much worse the world would have been uh, had we had to live through this pandemic 10 years ago, and how much the the internet has gotten better over those last 10 years, and, and Cloudflare throughout that entire time has played a small part in making sure that the internet's been able to stand up to what we've been throwing at it uh, now, and, and will be for whatever we throw at it for the next 10 years.
3: Well, I think when people read your materials, they rec- they'll see right from plan- right from the very first page, the internet is not meant for what we're doing to it. Correct.
1: That's right. And, you know, the Internet's a miracle, uh, but it was it was designed as a academic project that never had security built into it, never had reliability built into it, never had performance built into it. And so fundamentally, what we do at Cloudflare every day is take that that network that we've all come to rely on and and retrofit those things back into it so that anyone anywhere can have the most secure, reliable and performant network and and be able to, to, to survive and thrive and, and compete over the long term. Okay, so let's talk about the, the hack that everyone is, is, is very upset about, ju-
3: justifiably. Um, I interviewed um, Nikesh uh, from, uh, from Palo Alto today, uh, Nikesh Aurora, and he basically said, listen, didn't want to single anybody out, just basically said, look, there are some issues with the web uh, that make it so that it's, it's a little, I would say, easier to hack. I look at Cloudflare and I say to myself, Wait a second. If it was Cloudflare, this wouldn't have occurred. I know no one wants to say no one wants to say. Listen, that couldn't happen to us, but it wouldn't. Matt, Matt, it would not have occurred if you guys been the guys who were being had 18,000 customers and had this issue.
1: Correct? Well, so I think that the, the architecture that we are moving toward is a zero trust architecture, and what that means is effectively. Uh, if a hacker gets into one part of your organization that it's contained, it's almost like bulkheads in a ship right. that make sure that a leak in one place doesn't sink the entire ship. What's really troubling about this particular hack is that more than 400 of the Fortune 500 effectively just discovered that there was a secret door to their building that their their rivals, that you know, their, their adversaries had been walking in and out of uh, since since March or April of this year. And what we don't know yet is how many things have been taken from those organizations and how many things have been left behind by those those adversaries. And so there's gonna be a lot of cleaning up, but I think that as we move forward, the zero trust architecture that Cloudflare is delivering to our customers helps ensure that even if one part of an organization has a breach, that it doesn't sink the entire ship and that you can essentially make sure that even if the attacker got in through one door, they can't get can't b- get past that first room.
3: But this is There's a Fortune 500 company came to you, industrial manufacturing company, consolidate multiple vendors. In other words, legacy. You just said, zero touch, you said the same thing to me that Todd McKinnon from Okta said, and I watched you guys very closely, which is that there is a way to stop this, but you have to get rid of the legacy and start anew, and it costs you much, but intended, in the end it doesn't cost nearly as much as what just happened, correct?
1: That's exactly right. And what we're seeing is that through a number of these different factors, it's really causing organizations to say, okay, enough is enough. We've lived through a pandemic. We've lived through a massive hack. We're going to get rid of what are those legacy uh, approaches to security and move to another uh, great approach. And so someone like Okta is a a terrific partner of ours. Someone like CrowdStrike Georgia over CrowdStrike, you know, is is a terrific partner of ours. And I think combining these best of breed solutions, these new cloud-based approaches does give you a better level of security and allows any organization to have the same state-of-the-art that the Googles of the world uh, have and and, I, and I'm proud of being part of that solution, along with the other the other great companies that you mentioned. Well, if
3: I am a state-sponsored cyber terrorist, I'm not going to go after a Cloudflare product, a Cloudflare client. I'm not going to go after McKinnon and Okta. I'm going to find someone has a bunch of mumbo-jumbo legacy systems that's relying on old technology, and I am going to crush them. Everyone keeps thinking this was so hard. If I have to read that one more time, the fact is, these legacy systems are vulnerable, and no one's doing much about it except for you and a couple of other companies in zero trust.
1: You know, I, I, again, I think that there is... Uh, we're optimistic that we can beat the bad guys. It is not... It's not inevitable that they have more resources uh, and, and better technology than we do. And what we see every day is that as people move to these next generation solutions around security, uh, that they actually can be more secure. And so I'm proud of the work that we've done for our clients in helping make sure that they are safe. And we are going to continue to innovate and deliver great features to make sure that the Internet can be that safe place that we can all rely upon.
3: Well, I believe you and. That's one of the reasons why your company's been so great. You deserve everything that's happened. Matthew Prince, chair and CEO of Cloudflare. This is why I bring these companies to you, okay? Listen to me, people. It's because it's not that the bad guys are so smart. It's that we're so cheap and dumb. Mad Bunny's back in for the break. About? And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski, Dad, the lightning We're going to start with Matthew in Arkansas. Matthew.
4: Hey, Jim. It's uh, Matthew calling in from Arkansas. First time, long time. Just okay. wanted to give you a big shout out. Thank you. Uh, over the past four years as a millennial investor, your suggestions in Twilio, Teladoc, and Tesla have taken my retirement accounts to new levels. Well, there you go. Uh, I mean, you can
3: retire and go to South Sea Islands now. I mean, that's pretty good. No, (laughs) Thank you. Younger people like the show, which I love because I actually share in their joy of making money, not just preserving it.
4: Let's go to work. Yes, I got a long outlook, Jim a new announcement from the Fed this afternoon has me excited. What are your thoughts on Wells Fargo? I think I believe in Charlie
3: Sharp. I like him at Visa. I think he's a real smart guy. He had to replace a lot of people before be able to get that thing underway, but now it is going. And don't forget, they may not have the capital of the other guy. Well, actually, they're overcapitalized. Let's hope they're allowed to do their buyback. Uh, but capital trust of J.P. Morgan, that's a good one. Let's go to Sophia in Florida. Sophia! Hi, Jim. I have my daughter. want to ask you a question. I like that. Sophia! Look at that. Will you listen to that? How do we go to work together?
0: Julian! Jim, that this, kid's is got from, sense.
4: this is Sophia from Tampa, Florida. I'm 12 years old. I have two things. First, my grandmother thinks you're hot. Second, my dad...
3: Never too late. City. Let me tell you something.
4: Did he buy Mass Tech?
3: i I'm sorry. I forgot the stock. I was focused on something else. <laughs> okay, Sophia, listen to me. Mass Tech's a winner. I like infrastructure plays, and that's certainly one of them. We got a lot of infrastructure problems. And you know, if you tell your grandma, I'm spoken for. Her. Let's go to Matthew in Tennessee, please. Matthew. Booyah, Jimmy Chill. How you doing? The chill man in the house, just trashing everybody, including some clown by the name of Bogart. What's up? Alright, well I'm coming at
4: you, um, I'm thinking. With all the infrastructure bills coming from governments around the world to get people back to work, even though we've seen the stock nearly double since March lows, do you think Caterpillar is still a buy?
3: No, I'm with you. Look, there's very few industrials, so this one can go to 200. Management's been buying back stock. These are smarter guys. Uh, I actually like deer more than cat if you want to know the truth. Let's go to Gary in Ohio. Gary!
4: Happy holidays, Jim, from the great state of Ohio. Go Bucks!
3: Well, I love the Bucks. Hey, actually, I had cream Honey. got me like like 30 the other day, but it didn't matter. It was too late. Yes. What's up? Jim, I'm calling today about VDLR.
4: It dropped today. Is it a buy or I like sell? it.
3: Yeah, I mean, look, you know, there's unfortunately, there's so many in that same space. Uh, I like that one. Um, I like this. I, I like this. Uh, yeah, I like that one. I like LiDAR, too. Let's get there was one that just really fell apart, uh, and it was hard to understand. Let's go to Steve in California, please, Steve.
4: Hi, Jim. Thanks for having me on the show. Of course. Uh, call from Burma, California. Uh, my question for you is about a stock that seems to be flying stealth and not trending since March. I'm talking about Tupperware.
3: Yeah, I- somehow that stock got to, like, the mid-single digits. I had no idea why. Things were okay. Um, it's usually it's a play on empowerment by people. Now, that said, I have decided that this thing's too hard to own. If I bought it at the lower level, I would be thinking, Dave from my home state of Pennsylvania. Dave.
4: Booyah, yeah, Jim. We got Dave. First-time caller, longtime listener, and rock-solid so, uh, Eagles fan. Go Eagles! Oh, hey man, we got a big game this weekend. <laughs> They're all big. That's great. go ahead. Uh-huh. It's hurting. My stock I mean,
3: hurts. My stock is Freeport McMoran. You know, Freeport uh, is it, look—it's the purest copper play in the world, and some gold. Uh, copper's going up. There is kind of. Remember, my thesis is that when we get the vaccine, it's going to be a worldwide boom. So I would hold on to that, even though it's already doubled. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the
4: Lightning
3: Round.
2: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
3: When you look at some of these recent IPOs that came public and then exploded higher, the problem is not that their stocks are insanely overvalued. It's that we don't know how to value them at all. We're grasping in the dark. I'm talking about Snowflake, the cloud-based data warehousing kingpin, along with DoorDash and Airbnb, the three biggest tech deals of the year. They're widely considered benchmarks of froth, clearly signs that the market is nearing a top. I think that's the wrong way to look at it. Let me tell you why. I want to start with Snowflake. A lot of people don't understand this copy. At first glance, it looks like just yet another cloud software play. Oh, jeez. But that doesn't do the company justice. Snowflake is a complete and total disruptor of the cloud, allowing its clients to take advantage of all their data by blowing out the silos where it's currently stored so that everyone can make use of it. In other words, these guys have democratized data analytics. They've created a world where you don't need a computer science degree to understand this stuff, and most of us don't have one. Best of all, Snowflake's run by the bankable Frank Slootman, who's a terrific track record of shepherding young companies to unimaginable heights. So how much should it be worth? Right now, the market says Snowflake's worth $95 billion, even as it's a relatively new player that's losing massive amounts of money, which is why so many people think froth, froth, froth. But wait a second. It's got 119% revenue growth, the fastest by far in the category. I like that kind of growth. If it continues, if Slootman repeats what he did at Data Domain and ServiceNow, yes, yeah, ServiceNow, N-O-W, then you may regret not paying up for this thing. You heard me. If Slootman, who I know is well-paid, I don't care. He came out of retirement. If he executes, Snowflake at $95 billion will end up looking cheap in retrospect. Of course, if he drops the ball, it's another story. But there's a real possibility Snowflake could have enormous upside. Let me put it to you this way. Uh, Tesla had a similar valuation, and everybody told you it was ridiculously expensive. Now it's worth more than $650 billion. Very few companies could be in the, ne- the next Tesla. Snowflake's a contender, though. How about DoorDash? The delivery service for the stock that hit a new intraday low earlier today, falling 100 to $147, down almost 50 bucks from its high, before turning around and finishing the session at $166, up nearly 8%. These things trade like, well, wildfires. The market says DoorDash is worth 53 bucks. Is that fanciful? Is that psychotic? Could be. Maybe after everyone gets vaccinated, we'll stop using these food delivery services and go out to eat. I own restaurants. Wouldn't that be nice? Uh, and then the numbers will go down. But what if we've come to rely on its competitors so much during the pandemic that there's no going back? I, I, that, that could be reality. Still, DoorDash is not Snowflake. And even if everything goes right, that $53 billion valuation, it does seem steep to me. I'm worried that it's not proprietary enough at these levels. And they've got some really smart competitors like Grubhub uh, or Uber Eats. How about Airbnb? All right, the market value is this one at ninety-five billion. You know what? I think that's crazy. It's nuts. It should be worth much more than that. This could be the cheapest of them all. Why? Because Airbnb comes pretty close to having a monopoly on what's become the cheapest way to take a vacation in any city. The business took off when COVID hit, and people realized that staying in someone else's house was safer than staying in the House
2: of Pain, a hotel.
3: Who's to say that this stock can't double again if they keep up the growth? Not me. Plus, I trust CEO Brian Chesky. I think he's got to figure it figured out. Let's put it together. When you go over all three stocks, Snowflake, Airbnb, Well, they are actually easy to justify on one hand. I mean, look, you could argue they should be worth a fraction of that. I can't do that. I like it. Even on the high-risk, high-reward end of the spectrum, they are good. DoorDash cover. But, hey, two out of three ain't bad. We don't have a whole group of recent IPOs bolstered by irrational euphoria. We have two great companies with justifiably hot stocks. And a third that maybe got ahead of itself. That's not so hard. i like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to find it just for you. Right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Kramer. See you Monday. The news with Shepard Smith starts now.
0: Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com gold businessgoldcard.